And we long for that day to be here. We patiently wait and sometimes not so patiently wait, but it is our sure fate that we shall see him and that he will make all things right. And so we look forward to that day and trust in him in this day in light of that day. Our Unison Scripture reading today was uh, included uh, some difficult sayings of Jesus. Uh, he proclaimed that we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And John 6, 41 and following dealt with, with the Jewish leaders and their opposition to what Jesus was saying and how they responded not too favorably to it. Our sermon text today is a passage that follows right on the heels of that. It's John 6, 60 to 71. It, it deals with the same difficult saying, but, but it's from kind of a different perspective. Instead of being to those who were against Jesus already, this is more directed at those who are the followers of Jesus, his disciples. And we see how they respond in light of it. Would you now, if you're able, stand out of respect for God's word as I read to you John 6, verses 60 to 71. This is indeed the inspired word of God. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may have a seat. Would you pray with me once more? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us now. Speak to us because your word is life. Speak to us because life is what we need. For apart from you, we have no life. and We are dead in our sin, but with you, we have life, abundant and everlasting. So speak to us today, and may we hear, may we trust, and 
may we follow, looking unto you as the author of our faith. Looking to you as our Savior and our King. We pray this for the glory of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, this past week, I saw a study that was released. Ligonier Ministries, a, a wonderful uh, ministry that was started by R.C. Sproul, released what they called their State of the Church study. It was a study that, that had been done. Uh, they commissioned a group to do polling and, and get information, and they interviewed a whole lot of people and had them fill out this data, and they came up with, with this study that dealt with a number of different questions and, and asked people how they respond, either, you know, strongly agree, somewhat agree, strongly disagree, somewhat disagree, or neither agree nor disagree, right? You know, so you kind of can go either way with that. Um, and, and to be quite honest with you, the results of the study were at the same time both shocking and really not so shocking. There were questions like this one. <clears throat> Do you agree or disagree that God is unconcerned with my day-to-day -day decisions? Now they asked not just regular people this, not just church people this, they actually asked, drilled down to evangelicals. <clears throat> right? We're part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. This is our tribe, this is our group, our people, right? People in these pews right here before us. These types of people. <clears throat> they asked evangelicals, do you agree or disagree? God is unconcerned with my day-to-day -day decisions. 23% of the people agreed. That's just down from the 32% for the general population. Almost the same number, right? One in four, essentially, of all people who are evangelicals thought God really doesn't care about our day-to-day -day decisions. We can go about doing whatever we want. No big deal to God. The percentage of evangelicals that agreed to this statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature, 57%. Okay, so more than half of people believed that amongst evangelicals. I hope that you know that that is not the case, right? I, I've, I've said it many times here from this pulpit, and I hope you've heard that we are sinful by nature. We are broken and we are fallen, right? We are not basically good and just needing a little tinkering and a little tweaking, right? We are dead in our sin and need life and salvation to be given to us. They asked evangelicals if they agreed that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, Islam. 56% says absolutely agree with that. So more than half the people think, you know, it really doesn't matter what kind of religion you have. Just have some kind of religion, essentially, and God will be happy. Just be religious, as it were. Again, these are evangelicals. They ask, the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 26% of evangelicals, one in four, said, yep, that's right. One in four evangelicals believe, not as we say that this is the very word of God, inspired, infallible, but rather just, eh, some good stories. 
Religious belief is about personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. 37% of evangelicals agreed. Over one in three. You know, it's just whatever works for you. Right? If it works for you, that's great. You know, you've got your thing, I've got my thing. Finally, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 43% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. The state of the evangelical church is not good. The takeaway I had simply was this. The evangelical church in America increasingly looks a lot like America at large. Right? We look a lot less like a distinct people with a distinct set of beliefs and more like the culture that surrounds us. We have just become more and more like them and less and less like Christ. Right? Because the culture at large thinks that they know what Christ is all about. They've kind of been inoculated to him by the little touch of him that they have gotten. And, and they, they haven't ever truly examined what he says. And where they have examined what he says, they don't like it and they grumble about it. And they think that, that just because they can't seem to make sense of what he's saying to have it fit into their way of thinking, that perhaps they should just reject it because it must be wrong. And so they ultimately walk away. And more and more, this is exactly what is happening within the evangelical church. If the statistics are right, and I think we have every reason to believe that indeed they are, then the evangelical church struggles with the same things as the culture at large, we find the claims of Christ to be hard and are tempted to turn away. And so what this message today is about, as we look at this passage, I think is this. Though we are tempted to turn away, we must look to Christ. We look to Christ because he is omniscient. We look to Christ because he is life itself. And we look to Christ because he is God's plan. First, because he is omniscient. We look to Christ. You'll recall that Jesus has been teaching at the synagogue here, and, and the Jewish leaders have found what he has said to be hard, specifically this teaching that that he is the bread come down from heaven and they must eat his flesh and, and drink his blood and so live forever. You can understand why they might have a problem with this, right? I mean, on the one hand, we'd say, ooh, that's just kind of gross, right? I mean, eating flesh and drinking blood, ooh. But beyond that, actually, within, within the Jewish laws, it's actually codified that, that you can't do that. You can't eat somebody's flesh. You can't drink their blood. It is, it is a direct and flagrant violation of the law to do that. So it's understandable that the Jewish leaders would, would be kind of like, hey, wait, Jesus, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And not just them, but also his disciples, right? Because they're Jews as well. Now we want to remember here, when we talk about disciples, we're not just talking about the 12, right? Jesus had a lot of followers that had gathered around him at this point probably hundreds of followers at the very minimum 
Uh, and so they're gathered around him and they're, they're learning from his teaching and they're witnessing his miracles and they are a part of, of this following. But they hear this saying and they say in verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And here's the thing. If that's an honest question, it's really a good question, right? I mean, let's, let's remember that, that it's a very reasonable response and, and, and God allows honest questions, right? Sometimes I think we feel like, well, you know, we really have to come to church and we have to at least around other people pretend we don't have any doubts or our faith never wavers and, and everything just makes sense. And even if it doesn't make sense, we, we really have to say it makes sense. Otherwise, we're lacking in faith and, you know, we're bad Christians then. But, but God allows us to have questions arise up in our hearts. That is all right. We should take them to him. That's okay. And so if this is an honest question, it is totally fine. But Jesus, we read in verse 61, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this. And notice the term, they're grumbling, right? It doesn't say, notice there, Jesus knowing that they were having a quick Bible study to determine the efficacy of this, or, or they were having a discussion with one another to try to figure out how this could possibly be true. No, they're grumbling about it, right? So, so the questions aren't really legitimate questions. They're, they're really more complaints, right? They're, they're arguments against, right? So he says to them, do you take offense at this? Right? It's a rhetorical question that he's asking, of course, right? He knows that they take offense at it, and he knows they ought not take offense at it. Now, when we talk about taking offense, that can be a couple different things, right? Sometimes we are offended, we take offense when somebody says something that, that hurts our feelings, right? And we take offense in that sense because they've hurt our feelings. And, and just as a side note, this isn't the point of the sermon at all, but just kind of a side note, that we'll, we'll throw this one in there for free, right? It, I think in general, all of us need to work and try a little bit harder to not be offensive to others and at the same time to not be offended by others, right? We, we should all be more sensitive toward other people in what we say and less sensitive in how we hear, okay? That's just a side note on being offended. But, but that's not the kind of offense that we're talking about here. I don't think they're talking about their feelings being hurt, right? Sometimes what an offense is, an offense is our sensibilities are offended, right? We say, that doesn't make any sense. That's ridiculous. And I think that's kind of the offense that they were taking here. In fact, when we see the word that is used here in the Greek that's translated to take offense, it, it's the Greek word skandalizo, all right? And, and we get our word scandalize from that. And it it's literally means to cause to stumble or to cause to, to trip or to cause to, to fall into a trap, right? This is the idea that stands behind it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we read that Jesus is a chosen and precious cornerstone and that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But at the same time, we read in verse 8 of that passage, 
but he is also a stone of stumbling. The same word here, scandalon. They stumble because they disobey his word as they were destined to do, right? So, so we talk about being ashamed as, as we stumble. Have you ever, have you ever stumbled and, and kind of been ashamed, been embarrassed by it, right? You kind of tripped and fallen. I, I actually once was, was right here where there's a, we're getting ready for a funeral that we we're having here. It was quite some time ago. And if you look at the, the way this is set up here, right, you see it kind of curves away from the front, right? And I was walking over here to do something. I came, and, and I was just walking along this way, right? And just walking straight at this wall and wham, I just, you know, hit the stairs, it fell down, and, and just crumbled right here. There's some people around. And I, of course, at that point, immediately jumped up and pretended like it didn't hurt and pretended like I wasn't embarrassed, right? Because that's what we do. But, but I was embarrassed. I was ashamed, right? Because I had stumbled, I had fallen, I had tripped up. I couldn't even walk. Oh, my goodness, right? You know, it, it was, for some reason, shameful. Have you, have you ever been ashamed, right? You know, that... We don't want to be ashamed. We don't like being ashamed. But Jesus tells us if we believe in him, we will never be put to shame. He, he will never let us stumble. He will never let us fall. Now, he's not talking about on the steps here, right? He's talking about ultimately and finally and totally. He will hold us up. He will, he will be the, the cornerstone, the foundation that, that holds us together, that holds us up, that is sure and that is steadfast, that is, is able to be depended upon always. Right? But at the same time, if we don't believe in him, he, he does become that stone of stumbling. Right? If we trip over him and the things that he has to say. Right? That's what happened here. We see in the text today, they didn't trust his word. And we know how foolish that is, right? If we think about it, because because we see the omniscience of Jesus in verse 61, right? Jesus knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this. Not, not he heard them grumbling, not Peter ran up to him and said, hey, hey, Jesus, Jesus, they're grumbling over there. No, he, he knew in himself, right? He's omniscient. He had this knowledge that is ultimate, that is total Later on in the passage, we see again in verse 64, there's some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus knew all. And he still does today. He still knows all today. And if Jesus knows all, if he knows everything, it's pretty foolish to argue with Jesus, isn't it? And yet, we so commonly do, right? We argue with him. Now, I said before, we can bring our questions to him, absolutely, but there's a difference, is there not, between bringing an honest question to somebody and arguing with them. We've all been on both sides of that equation, haven't we? Right? We shouldn't argue with Jesus, but we can bring our questions to him, but, but why would we argue with the one who knows all things? Right? funny, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block against the scandal on to Jews and 
folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The most foolish thing God has ever thought is wiser, a thousand times wiser, than the wisest thing you've ever thought, right? On his worst day, he's infinitely more wise than you could ever hope to be. But even so, we reject what he says to us. We, we find his sayings difficult. They're difficult because, because we can't reconcile them with what we think. They're, they're difficult because our, our flesh cries out that we want to go in a different direction than what he is leading us. We, we find it difficult to, to proclaim his truth because others might mock us. We find it difficult to admit that it is all grace and we have added nothing to our salvation. If we tell people that to gain salvation, all they have to do is trust in Jesus, that they can't do anything in and of themselves, people, people reject that. They don't like that. They want to believe that they can do something, right? Because, because then they can think of themselves as good people. Right? And, and we're the same way. We, we like to think, well, if I just follow enough religious rules, then I'll be good. No, that's not what the Bible says. It's all of grace. We reject what Jesus says sometimes because we find it difficult. Even though he's the one who knows all, we need to look to Jesus because he is omniscient. Secondly, we look to Jesus because he is life itself. Right? Jesus knows that they're grumbling because he's omniscient. Like we said, so he says in verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before, right? He says, you know, I've come from heaven. What, what if you saw me going back to heaven? Would that be enough for you? Would that be enough for you? Probably not, right? Because, you know, we could demand a sign. We get a sign. We say, well, show us another sign, right? That's kind of our natural sinful tendency. He says, says yeah, that's right, because your flesh will war against it. It will, it will not put it up. He says in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all, right? He's not talking about his own flesh. He's talking about our flesh, our sinful flesh, our broken flesh, our, our flesh that is lost in sin, right? As Paul says in Romans 8, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. In light of this, in light of this truth, isn't it crazy that we think that we would be able to determine what is best for us, right? That, that, that we know best what the good life is, that we know best what we should do, right? If our sin has so corrupted us that we no longer know what is good, we can't trust our feelings, right? And, and so instead, if we want life, real life, true life, life as it was meant to be, we need to look to the one who is life itself, right? Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words of Jesus are literally life-giving words. Just as he called Lazarus out of the tomb, remember? Lazarus was dead in the tomb, been there for days. He says, Hey, Lazarus, come on out. And Lazarus did. Right? 
and he does the same thing with us right we are dead in our sins and he calls us to come out of our death and into life and and by doing so we are actually made to be alive right if, if you want to have life when you are dead you need somebody else to do something to you right i mean i mean you can't just just do cpr on yourself when you're dead because you know you're dead right i mean we have an aed machine right we, but you can't go grab it and because you're dead so jesus says in verse 65 this is why i told you no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father right he says the father needs to grant it and i need to call him and i need to give him life and only then can he have the life god is the one who gives life Again, we want to claim credit for it. We want to say, well, I made a decision for Jesus. And then he came into my heart. Right? No. You would not have made any decision, any proclamation, any, any following whatsoever had not Jesus been at work in your heart already because you were dead. And he brought you back to life. And so in verse 66, it says, after this, some versions would actually say, it says, on account of this or as a result of this, Many, and probably the majority, of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Right? Basically, they're saying, you know, if I can't be in charge, if I can't do this my way, if I can't be a Christian and still be the one who kind of decides what I want to do and want to believe, then I don't want to be a Christian. Right? Because you see what they're doing is they're, they're creating God in their own image. They're kind of saying, well, well, I want to have the label. I want to, I want to be a church member in good standing but i don't want to have to do the things that are required of church members in good standing right that's what they're, they're saying I, I want to believe whatever i want to believe so jesus says to the 12 after all these other ones are left he says says well what about you guys he says do you want to go away as well it's an important question the question he directs at you as well today and Simon Peter answers on behalf of the twelve. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He says, we, we can't go anywhere else. We've found the one, right? If, if you lose your car keys, right? And, and you look and you look and you look and you spend a half hour looking for your car keys. Where did I put them? They're not in that drawer. They're not on the hook where they normally go. Are they in my pants that I wore yesterday? I don't know. Where are they? And then finally you find them. Oh, they were in my coat pocket. That's right. There they are. You don't spend the next half hour looking for your car keys, right? Because you've already found them. Peter says, Lord, we found the key to life. How could we possibly turn away? How could we possibly look elsewhere? You have the words of eternal life. You are the one we'll cling to. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not any other so-called prophet or, or sage, not Joe Biden, not Donald Trump, none of them. You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life, and you are the one we will follow. That's what Peter says, and that's what each of our hearts must cry out to him here today and every day, that he has the words of eternal life, that there are none other that we will follow if they would lead us away from Jesus. He alone is the one. We look to Jesus because he is God's plan. Right, verse 69, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Right, Christ Jesus is the one who was God's plan from the beginning. 
He, would, he knew we would fall in our sin. He knew we would be lost. He knew we would be dead. And he knew he would send Jesus to take our place. Though we deserve to be punished for our sins, he knew Jesus would take that punishment upon himself on the cross. That he would bleed and die. That his flesh and his blood would be poured out for us. It's not just some moral improvement plan that we have here at the church, right? I think some of us think that way. We think that, what good is the church for? Well, we go to the church because they, they make us to be nicer people. Well, hopefully, yes, but that's a side thing. That's not the main point, right? The main point of the church is not just to make us nicer people. It is to point us to Christ. It is to point others to Christ. It is that Christ might in and through us build his kingdom and that he might be glorified. So, we look to the cross. The cross which is scandalous, right? Because it's not something we do. It's something Jesus has done. The way of the cross and following Jesus, right? Jesus says we have to take up our cross and follow him. And the way of the cross is, is that we become great by becoming less. That we, we become first by making ourselves last. That we, we believe that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. Now this is so hard to do, right? That's the reality we all know. It's hard to live your life this way. And, and, and even the 12, we see that, that though they followed him at this juncture, ultimately the day would come where almost all of them would would falter and flee, and they would deny, and they would betray, right? And Jesus even references it here, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Speaking of Judas, right, who was going to betray him. And in verse 64, right, we touched on this earlier, he said he knew who it was who would betray him, right? What an amazing truth here that Jesus was not unaware, right? He was omniscient, as we said before, but but even beyond that, it shows us that it was part of the plan from the beginning, right? Things didn't go off the rails and Jesus got crucified, right? It was the plan from the beginning. He was the plan. In a, in a mysterious and, and unfathomable way, God actually works through our sins to accomplish his purposes, right? That's why... Joseph could say, oh, what, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. That's why in Proverbs we, we read, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Right? We need to trust in that fact. Realizing that he is accomplishing his purposes in our midst even now. Even today, even in the midst of brokenness and fallenness, even in the midst of our pain and our suffering, even in the midst of our sins and our shortcomings, God is accomplishing his purposes. He is building his kingdom. He is upon Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, building up his church. A church which will stand and give glory to him. For that reason, we look to Christ, he who is omni omniscient, he who is life itself, and he who is God's plan. Right? He's, he's not just the messenger. 
He's the message. Jesus himself. So let us forsake our own plans and build on Christ Jesus, the true foundation. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we we thank you that you have given us Christ Jesus, the all-knowing one who is life itself as as, as your plan, as your purpose. May he be our plan and our purpose as well. May we do that because we bring our plans and purposes and goals and, and focus and trust in line with yours. May we do so by your grace, through your power, through your spirit working in us. We pray that you would build us into your church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able now, please rise as we sing hymn 404, the church's one foundation.
Indeed, as we look at life in this world, the cry might go up within our hearts, Lord, how long. But what a wonderful truth that soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. We look forward to that day. We live our life today in light of that day. And may God be with us through it all. To that end, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.